Acts chapter 26 in the Word of God. It's got a green light. Beyond that, I don't know what to do. <laughs> All right. Are we okay, or is somebody going to feed me to the alligators? <laughs> I'm all of a sudden getting nervous. All right. Let me tell you about the book of Acts chapter 26. Acts chapter 26 is the story of a king who came to hear a prisoner. It's an interesting story. The apostle Paul is incarcerated. Wow, we have sound now. Praise the Lord. The apostle Paul is incarcerated, and he has made an appeal to Caesar. Now, in the United States of America, we can appeal a lower court's ruling to a higher court. But essentially what the Apostle Paul did, he skipped all the intermediate courts, and he went from the court in Caesarea all the way to the court in Rome, which was the highest court in all of the Roman Empire. And, and so doing, he ensured that he as a Roman citizen would go to the city of Rome, and there in the city of Rome, the Caesar himself would hear the Apostle Paul's case. And so the initial man who put him in prison was a man by the name of Felix, and then Felix left Paul in prison, and then he left, he was no longer in power, and another man by the name of Festus came in, Portius Festus. You know what that means, don't you? It means a pig feast. That's what it means, all right? So Portius Festus came in, and a pig feast came in, and uh, he's, gonna, he's going to be, he's going he's gonna to take control and take charge of the Apostle Paul. But he says, you know, when Felix left power, he didn't tell me the accusations against this prisoner. I mean, I got to send him to Rome, but it just seems a little bit unusual that I don't have an accusation to tell Caesar. So in essence, this guy's going to stand before Caesar, and Caesar's going to say, okay, what are the charges against you? Festus said, I don't have anything to write. He said to his, 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 king, his friend, uh, King Agrippa, he said to his friend, he said, now, I wonder, would you help me? Would you hear this prisoner for yourself, and in hearing this prisoner, maybe you can help me figure out some kind of accusation to write whenever I send him all the way to Rome? And so Agrippa said, I'll do that. That's fine. We'll do that. And so he and his wife, Bernice, they came into the judgment hall with great pomp, the Bible says. I mean, Agrippa had the idea, I am a very important person. And so they came in there and trumpets were blowing and the red carpet was out and all of that. And so they sat down and here comes this guy, this Jew, this prisoner, the Apostle Paul. Most of Acts chapter 26, the Apostle Paul is giving Agrippa his testimony. He's telling him about what he used to be before he was saved, how he was saved, and now what he's doing after he's saved. But I want us to go in Acts chapter 26 to verse 27. Acts chapter 26, look please at verse 27. If you're able to stand, would you do that please? Just a few verses here, and then we'll keep our Bibles open throughout the course of the message to Acts chapter 26. The Bible says, Paul speaking to King Agrippa, King Agrippa, believest thou the prophet? I'm in verse 27. Did I tell you that? Acts 26 and verse 27. Maybe that'll help you, okay? Verse 27, King Agrippa, believest thou the prophets? <laughs> I know that thou believest. Then Agrippa said unto Paul, almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. Isn't that a sad verse? Here's a man that has felt the conviction of the Holy Spirit. He has understood the logical claims of Jesus Christ as the promised Messiah. 
He has, he has sat through this message that the Apostle Paul has preached. He knows that everything that's been preached is backed up by the Word of God. And yet he says, for whatever reason, Paul, I am not going to take that step and I'm not going to get saved tonight. But I want you to notice the next verse. The Apostle Paul says in verse 28, excuse me, verse 29, And Paul said, I would to God that not only thou but also all that hear me this day were both almost and altogether such as I am except these bonds. Now, we're going to direct most of our attention to verse 29, but would you pause with me in prayer right now? Our Lord and Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this passage of Scripture. Thank you for this example in the Scripture. Lord, there are many people that are listening to this message Many of them are here in this room, but Father, by way of technology and the internet and all of the things that you've made available to us, Lord, only you know how many people are going to receive this message. And so, Father, I pray that it would fall on hearts that are ready to hear. I pray for that sinner under the sound of my voice right now that doesn't know Christ as Savior. I pray that they'd be born again tonight. And I pray for your people. I pray that you'd challenge us. And I pray that you would use this message in our hearts. Lord, draw us closer to you. And we want to thank you for all that's happened. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for standing. You can be seated. Sadly, in the last 10 years of American history, we have seen incidents that have, that have ended up in riots. Maybe it's, a, maybe it's a, a, an alleged police brutality or maybe it's, it's some other kind of problem that has uh, taken place in one way or another. And from time to time, we have seen the sad reality of riots in the United States. Not all the time in a riot, but many times in a riot, there is also the problem of looting. And we know what a looter is. A looter breaks into a store and takes whatever that store has for their own. And we've seen that, and we, we just, it kind of unsettles us because it's a violation of the law, and we just, we don't like to see it, but it's a fact of life. Now, the looter has a mindset. Whenever he or she breaks into the store, they are armed with this mindset. What you have, I want. Right? And because you have something that I want, I'm willing to break the window, to break down the door, whatever it may be, and break in and take what you have. Many of you know, but a couple weeks ago, there was a, a, an individual that, brought, that kicked in the back door of my house in Mississippi. He, I'm assuming it was a, it was a he, because he left his ID in, the car, in my car, which he stole. But anyway, he rummaged around in my house until he found my car keys. And uh, along with my car keys, he stole eight firearms that I had. And then he stole my car and drove it off. And uh, he, he left, his, left his ID there, and that was kind of nice of him and all that. But anyway, whatever, whatever was going on in this man's mind, and by, the, by all of the vodka bottles he left in my backyard, the police conjecture probably wasn't a whole lot going on in his mind, if you know what I mean. But uh, at any rate, this man and looters and, and thieves, many of them steal because they have this mindset, you have something that I want. Now, I want us to look very carefully at this verse of Scripture. It's maybe worded a little bit differently from what we would speak, but let's pick it apart. Verse 29, and Paul said, I would to God 
that not only thou. Now he's speaking to King Agrippa. In your King James Bible, the word thou means you singular. Okay? The word ye means y'all, plural. Okay? You understand that? That's one of the reasons we use this old King James Bible. It's very, very precise, and it's very, very specific. So he looks at King Agrippa, and he says to him, I would to God that not only thou, King Agrippa, but also all that hear me this day. So this is what he's saying in Mississippi. We'd put it this way. I want you and all y'all. Okay? That's what he's saying. You and all y'all. All All right? See, Southern is a great dialect. It really is. It's very, very useful, very handy. I want you and all y'all that hear me this day to be both almost and altogether such as I am except these bonds. Now listen carefully. The thief says, I want what you have. In in this verse of Scripture, the Apostle Paul is saying, I want you to have what I've got. You see that? You see that difference? He said, look, King Agrippa, I don't only want you to have what I have, but I want this guard over here to have it. And I want Festus over here to have it. And I want your wife Bernice to have it. And I want that little fellow that served the meal, I want him to have it. I want all of you to have what I have. Wow, what an attitude. So here's a question tonight. What did Paul have? Now, clearly, he said, well, what I have, I want you to have. So what did he have? Well, I believe there are three things in this passage of Scripture that the Apostle Paul had, and he wanted Agrippa to have them. Can I say to you, the Apostle Paul's clearly not here tonight, but This message is a timeless message. Anyone that has these three things has the same attitude of the apostle saying to other people, I want you to have this too. I've got it. Thank God that I've got it. But oh, I would do anything within my power to see to it that you have it too. And so I'd like us to look at what Paul had because he said, what I've got, I want you to have. I want you to notice what the Bible says in Acts chapter 26 and verse 15. Acts chapter 26 and verse 15. And I said, Paul is telling the story, and I said, Who art thou, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. It was here on the road to Damascus that the Apostle Paul came into contact with the Lord Jesus Christ, and it was here on the road to Damascus that the Apostle Paul was saved. So what did he have? He had, number one, the assurance of salvation. He had the assurance of salvation. Now, let me just take that phrase, assurance of salvation, and let's deal with it in two parts. Let's first of all talk about salvation. Salvation is a word that tells a story, doesn't it? Okay, if you use the word salvation, there's a story involved. What is the story? Well, somewhere along the line, there's some kind of danger. And somewhere along the line, you were delivered from that danger. That's the the story of the word salvation. Now, we find the word salvation in the Bible. So somewhere along the line, there's got to be a danger. What's the danger? My friend, the danger in salvation is this. It is sin. All have sinned, the Bible says, and come short of the glory of God. Pastor Monday, as I talk to people in the United States of America, the number one problem that I see that stands between Americans and getting saved is admission of their sinful condition. This is what I hear all the time. Well, 
I'm not perfect, but I'm not a sinner. I may have done a few things wrong, but I'm not a sinner. And uh, what they mean by that, they're viewing sin by comparison. In other words, I'm not perfect, but I'm not as bad as, and then they just fill in the blank in their mind. Maybe they're thinking of their brother. Maybe they're thinking of their boss. Maybe they're thinking of their husband or their wife. But the truth is, they say, I'm, I may have done some things wrong, but I'm not a sinner. Do you understand? The word sin means to miss the mark. It means I'm, I'm aiming at a mark, but I didn't hit the mark. Last year, both my daughters killed their first deer. You can say amen right there. That's good stuff. Yeah, that's good stuff. Pastor Monday, I've never worked so hard in all my life as to get those girls on deer and get them a good shot at deer. Good night. That was hard work. One of my girls killed a deer in the state of Wyoming. And uh, so I'd worked, hard to, I'd worked hard to take her to the range, get everything ready, you know, so she could hit what she could aim at. And uh, everything, was, everything was going well. And uh, I, I brought her out to this one place, but it wasn't the best spot. And so we changed spots over here. Man, we were in the absolute perfect spot. It was a natural deer blind. A cottonwood tree had blown over, but it didn't kill the cottonwood. So the, the limbs were growing up like this. It was a natural blind. It was absolutely perfect. So that afternoon came the wind was in our face and sure enough here came the deer and uh and we all we had was a doe tag because that's all I could afford in the state of Wyoming but they're pretty cheap there and so uh I, I said I said to my daughter I said sweetheart you've got eight options there's 11 deer in the field three of them are bucks you can't you can't shoot them but you got eight other choices just pick one and go now in my mind I'm thinking to myself how hard can it possibly be This is the original point-and-click interface. She's sitting down. She's got a nice rest for her rifle. All she has to do is bang, and it's done. I'm watching through the binoculars. Did you know that the longer you watch through the binoculars, the more tired and fatigued your eyes become? Are you going to take the shot? Sweetheart, you got to take the shot. Nothing. I don't know how long we waited, but we waited long enough so that that one of those bucks, he was the biggest one, and and unfortunately, he was the closest one to us. You hunters will understand this. They look, he was looking at that cottonwood tree, and though he couldn't smell anything, he said, something's not right. He'd stomp his foot like this, and he'd stand up real straight. I said, take the shot. You're going to lose your opportunity. Take the shot. You you got two choices as to which daughter it was. I'm not going to tell you in this message. But she didn't take the shot. Finally, that buck decided something's not right, and he trotted off the field, and every one of them deer did with him. Daddy, they're all gone. I don't know what to tell you. I told you to take the shot. But then along came another deer. He was one of these deer that said, I don't know what that big buck is talking about. He doesn't know nothing. I want to get me some more alfalfa. So out into the alfalfa field he came. I told my little girl, I said, this is it. you got to do it. So sure enough, I'm looking through the binoculars. It's still taking forever. I can't figure out what's holding it up. I never knew that there would be an emotional process in the mind of a little girl. One of her friends had shot a deer, and she was thinking, am I going to feel bad about this? I just don't know. Who knew that would happen? So finally, after what seemed like an eternity, she took a shot. And that deer did this right here. 
My daughter said, oh, I missed. And she started to cry. I said, no, 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 shoot him again. <laughs> so she shot again. Thank God for an AR-15. It's semi-automatic. You don't have to worry with a bolt or anything like that. And said, shoot him again. So she shot again. This time, this time, once again, the deer went, his eyes were really big this time. I said, shoot him again. I mean, fire in the hole till he goes down. Let's just keep after this thing. The third shot, the third shot, double lunged him. Wasn't long, he was on the ground. And she took her first deer. It was a wonderful day. We got that deer up and we looked at that deer. We found out the first shot missed entirely. The second shot shaved some hide off his belly about the size of a quarter. That's why he looked up and said, man, what was in that alfalfa? You want to talk about indigestion. But you know what? The truth is, the first two shots missed. Now, the first shot missed by a wider margin than the second shot. But had it not been for the third shot, the margin would not have mattered on the first two, right? I mean, what does it matter if she missed by half a mile or half an inch? What does that matter? It missed. And you know, ladies and gentlemen, so it is with sin. You don't have to be a triple-axe murderer to be on your way to hell. You see that? A lot of times we say, well, I'm not, I, you know, I've done a few things wrong, but I'm not that bad a person. The Bible says in Revelation 21 and verse 8, the fearful and the unbelieving, and then it lists a whole lot of sins that we would consider very bad. But can I tell you, they all have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. And if you're here today, my friend, you need to understand the Apostle Paul says to King Agrippa, I want you to have what I have. And what I have, I have the assurance of salvation. There was a time when I recognized that I was a sinner. There was a time that I realized Jesus Christ is the only way that I can be saved. You see, there was a time when the Apostle Paul wanted to bring all of his religion to the table. He wanted to say, look at what a good Jew I am. Look at how my parents were. Look at all of the things that I have done. Can I tell you, anyone that comes to God that way will be sorely disappointed. The old songwriter had it right when he said, nothing in my hands I bring simply to thy cross I cling. And the Apostle Paul realized that on the road to Damascus and there he was saved. But can I tell you from that point on throughout the rest of his life he had the assurance of his salvation. Did you know that it's possible to be saved and lack assurance of your salvation? That's possible. The Apostle John put it this way in the book of 1 John. He said, that ye may know that ye know Him. Now, knowing Him, that's salvation. But knowing that you know Him, that's assurance. Now, I'd just, I just like to briefly touch on this subject because the Apostle Paul says to Agrippa, look, I have the assurance of my salvation, and what I've got, I want you to have. And I want, you, I want to just talk to you about assurance. Sometimes, Pastor Monday, people get all... They, 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 they get all bent out of shape about assurance. Maybe it happens something like this. Someone will stand up in a testimony meeting and they will say, I, I just want to thank God for my salvation. You know, when I was saved, I was a nine-year-old boy. I walked into the, I walked into the dining room one day and uh, there all, all on the dining room table were the family bills. And next to the family bills, there just happened to be the family Bible. And they begin to tell you about the color of the linoleum. They begin to tell you about the finish on the dining room table. They begin to tell you about about the moon phase, whether it was waxing, waning, or, or, or dark, they begin to tell you about all of these things and all of these details, and you hear that testimony, and you think to yourself, you know what? 
I can't remember if it was July or October when I got saved. I can't remember what color the carpet was, and I have no idea if there were bills or a Bible on the table. And, uh, and uh, some of you may think to yourself, you know what, I think there was a service, but I can't even remember what the man preached. And sometimes, if we're not careful, we can begin to wonder, I don't, I don't remember a lot about that event. Maybe I'm not saved. I, I just want to help you tonight. When you look in the Bible, when it talks about assurance of salvation, the verbs that talk about assurance are in the present tense. And what does that mean? That means if I'm to look for evidence of salvation, I don't look back to the words that I said and the prayer that I prayed or what color the carpet was or whatever or what the day on the calendar was. I don't look backwards to what I have done to find assurance of salvation. I look to the present right now. Here is the question to to decide assurance of salvation. Right now, do you currently understand that you're a sinner? If the answer is yes, then proceed to number two. In whom are you trusting to take away your sin? Not back then, not right now. Right now, who are you trusting in right now? Right now, if the answer to that question right now is, as I sit here right now, I'm trusting in the the finished work of Jesus Christ, His death, burial, and resurrection, I'm trusting Jesus to save me. Right now, that's who I'm trusting. Then stop doubting your salvation. There's no need to doubt it. Somebody says, well, you know, I, I don't know if I prayed the right words when I got saved. I am still looking for some theologian to go through the Bible and find me the right words. I'm not not trying to be smart, but I'm saying, one fellow said, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. Jesus said, today you're going to be with me in paradise. One man would not so much as look up to heaven, but smote upon his breast and said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And this man went down to his house justified. Somebody please find me the right words. You're not going to find them in the Bible. Now, do we lead people in prayers? Yes, because it's just natural communication that sometimes we need to be taught how to address certain people, okay? So there's nothing wrong with a person that leads you in a prayer, but it's not the exact words of the prayer that saves anybody. It's a belief in your heart, and so I want to ask you right now, as you sit in your seat, as you sit in your home, or wherever it is you're listening to this message, I want to ask you, in whom are you trusting right now? The answer is either I'm trusting myself or I'm trusting the Lord Jesus Christ. In whom are you trusting? If you're trusting the Lord Jesus Christ, my friend, then stop your doubting. Go on in faith. Go on in assurance. Because you can say with the Apostle Paul, I've got something that I want the world to have. I have the assurance of my salvation. I want you to notice something else. Apostle Paul said, what I've got, I want you to have. I have the assurance of my salvation. I want you to notice something else. Look at verse 22. Acts 26 and verse 22, he says, Having therefore obtained help of God. Now, we're going to continue on in this sentence in the the rest of the message, but I just want to focus on that phrase, having obtained help of God. The Apostle Paul says, I've got some things, and I want you to have them. Number one, I have the assurance of salvation. Number two, I have the assistance of the Spirit. 
I have this assistance of the Spirit. What did Paul mean? Now, Paul does not go into a lengthy doctrinal dissertation here as he's speaking to an unsaved man. By the way, let that be a guide for you and for me. Sometimes I meet people, and they want to give folks a drink of of the water of life with a fire hose. I mean, put your mouth down here. Here it comes. And I think, have a little mercy, won't you? Let's let's give him the water of life out of a drinking fountain first, if we can maybe start there. And then we can grow as time progresses. But the Apostle Paul, he doesn't go into the whole doctrinal dissertation there, but I'm going to tell you, he does in the books that he wrote under inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Let me tell you what he means when he says, having therefore obtained help of God. He means this. When he got saved, the Holy Spirit of God came to live inside the Apostle Paul's body. And by the way, if you're saved here tonight, the same thing happened to you. It happened to you. The Lord Jesus, before he went to the cross of Calvary, as he was on his way from the upper room to the Garden of Gethsemane, he made this prediction. He said, the Spirit is currently with you, but he shall be in you. And that that was prophecy on that day before Jesus' crucifixion is now fulfilled today so that everywhere you go if you know Christ, everywhere that I go if I know Christ, the Holy Ghost of God lives within us. What a tremendous truth. What an amazing reality. Everywhere I go, God the Holy Spirit lives within me. You know why that's great? Because there are times that I just don't have it within me to be the husband that I ought to be. There are times that I just don't have it within me to be the father that I ought to be. There are times I don't have it within me to be the preacher I ought to be. There are times that I don't have it within me to be the soul winner that I ought to be. That's the bad news. But the good news is I don't have to provide the power for those things. Because the power to be Christ-like lives in me in the person of the Holy Spirit of God. Wow. The Apostle Paul said, hey, I've got some things. I want you to have them. I want you to have the assurance of salvation. I want you to have the assistance of the Spirit. Not only does the Holy Spirit indwell us, but He longs to control us. From time to time, you may hear a story of a person who, as near as we can tell, is controlled by a demon. That certainly happened in the Word of God. certainly happened in the New Testament. So that there were times when the person did not have control over his own body. The demon had control. You say, Brother Paul, can you give us an example? I can. In the Gospel of Mark chapter 9, you need not turn there, but in the Gospel of Mark chapter 9, there was a boy, a young lad, who was possessed with a demon. And and the man brought him to the disciples, and they eventually brought him to Jesus. Listen to the symptoms that this boy had because of the demon. The Bible says the father is speaking to Jesus, and he says this, he says, oft times the demon casteth this boy into the fire or into the waters to destroy him. So what does that mean? Well, that means on the 4th of July, this fellow could not have a wiener roast with his father. Now, there would be Hebrew national wieners, you understand. They would be kosher, but uh, he couldn't have a wiener roast with his father. Why? Because as soon as the demon looking through the boy's eyes saw the fire, it would take control of that little boy's body and take that boy's body and throw it into the fire. He said, Brother Paul, how awful. Likewise, couldn't take this boy fishing. 
Because the demon, as soon as it would see through the little boy's eyes, as soon as it would see the water, would take this little boy and throw him into the water in an attempt to drown this little boy. That, the little boy wasn't doing that, but a demon from within was controlling him so that he did things that he would not ordinarily do. Now, that's the bad news. That's horrible. That's awful. Now, let me give you the good news. When you got saved and the Spirit of God came to live inside of you, there are times when He wants to take control of you. You're not going to be throwing yourself into fires under the control of the Holy Spirit. You're not going to be trying to drown yourself in some body of water under the control of the Holy Spirit. But let me tell you what is going to happen. You're going to begin to have these inner qualities of character in your life. You say, what qualities? Well, you're going to have love. You're going to have joy. You're going to have peace. You're going to have long-suffering and so forth. It's known as the fruit of the Spirit. Also, you're going to have a power within you to be what you ought to be, to be the right kind of wife, to be the right kind of husband, to be the right kind of witness. The Holy Spirit of God longs to take control over every single one of you. And you know what? When you and I come and yield ourselves to Him, He does take control with the result that you and I can do things that we would not ordinarily do. Why? Because we're no longer in control, but it's God the Holy Spirit controlling us. The Apostle Paul says, hey, I've got something, Agrippa. What I've got, I want you to have. I have the assistance of the Spirit. I was back in my hometown in Mississippi, and I was out uh, doing some visitation for the local church. This fellow had visited the church, and and uh, so I was going to go and visit him. Typically, I would have had somebody with me, but this particular day, I was going alone. And as I was driving, I prayed. I said, you know, Lord, I need you to take control of me as I go to, to, to witness and talk to this guy. I didn't know if he was saved or not. I didn't know anything about him. But I said, Lord, there's going to be situations where I don't have the wisdom to handle this. And there's gonna, he's probably going to ask some questions that I don't know the answer to. I mean, had I had Pastor Monday there and his theological knowledge and his doctorate degree, it would have been different. But I, he wasn't there. I was all alone. And so, uh, and so I was praying. I said, Lord, you're going to have to help me. You're going to have to give me wisdom. You're going to have to give me insight. You're going to have to bring to my mind the Word of God. Uh, Lord, I can't do this alone. And I prayed something like this. I said, Lord, I want you to take my members. And what do I mean by that? I mean the parts of my body, my hands, my ears, my eyes. My, my faculty of speech, my feet. I said, Lord, I'm asking you to take my members and use them today as your instruments of righteousness unto God. And so I pulled up in the driveway, and uh, it was, honestly, if you close your eyes right now and bring up in your mind a picture of Mississippi, it'd probably be spot on for where I was. I mean, it was a trailer, and it was kind of overgrown, and it was just a jungle, and there were cars up on blocks. If you picture Mississippi, if you close your eyes right now, that you'd probably get it really close. So I pulled up in there. Sure enough, the fellow was out there working on the vehicle, and uh, I went up to him, and I began to talk to him, and uh, he assured me that he was saved, gave me a very wonderful testimony, and so we moved on to there to some other things, and began to talk. And the prayer that I prayed was answered that day. As I began to talk to him, Pastor Monday, all of a sudden, things began to come out of my mouth, and I, I thought to myself, that was brilliant. I mean, did you hear what I just said? 
I mean, wow, that was just incredible. That, that was brilliant. And it wasn't long before the conversation was over. I don't know how long I stayed, 45 minutes or something. I don't know how long it was. But I got back in the truck, and I'm driving. It's just the Lord and me talking, you know. And I said, Lord, what came out of my mouth was absolutely incredible. But I said, you and I both know it didn't come from me. It didn't come from me. I'm not trying to be spooky. I'm not trying to be weird. I'm just trying to be scriptural and let every one of you know that if you know Jesus Christ as Savior, He wants to do the same with you. Some of you have thought to yourself, you know, I'm supposed to tell my friends about the Lord, but I don't know what to say. Great! Wonderful! Pray and ask the indwelling Holy Spirit to give you the words to say. And you know what? There's going to come a time when you, like I have, and like many, many others down through the ages, will look back and say, man, that's pretty good. But it didn't come from me. It was all of him. And you see, the Apostle Paul, as he's giving his testimony, he said, look, what I'm doing today, I'm not doing alone. Oh, I surrendered to God. I I gave everything to God. But I just want you to know, anything that you may have heard that I have done, any church that may have been planted, any book that may have been written, I want you to know it's all because of the indwelling Holy Spirit living and working through my life. And, And what I've got, I want you to have. I have the assurance of salvation. I have the assistance of the Holy Spirit. I want you to notice one final thing that he had. Notice what the Bible says in verse 22. Acts 26 and verse 22. Having therefore obtained help of God... I continue unto this day, witnessing both to small and great, saying none other things than those which the prophets and Moses did say should come, that Christ should suffer, and that He should be the first that should rise from the dead and show light unto the people and to the Gentiles. The Apostle Paul says, I've got some things, and what I've got I want you to have. I've got the assurance of salvation. I've got the assistance of the Spirit. But number three, I have the assignment of service. What is he saying? He said, from the time I got saved until now, I have been doing my best to live my life in the will of God. And every day I get up, Agrippa, every day that I get out of bed, whether I'm chained or whether I'm free, I know today is another opportunity to fulfill the will of God for me. What I've got, I want you to have. Agrippa, I have the assurance of salvation. I have the assistance of the Spirit. But, oh, Agrippa, I've got an assignment of service. I'm going to tell you something. I feel sorry for people who never get involved in serving God. I feel sorry for them. Somebody says, well, you know, I'm, I'm working right now. I've got a business, and uh, I've, got to, I've got to get that business off the ground. My dad was a small business owner. So I have seen that thing work from the inside. I know if you've got a business, you've got to work really hard. But you know what? There's going to come a day in your life where you look around and you say to yourself, in my dad's case, okay, so... I've torn off a bunch of roofs, and I've put them back on. What have I really done? I remember as a boy, we, we went to some brand new houses, and uh, they were just getting built. We put the roofs on them, and then by the time I was in college, later on in college, we went back. Dad said, yeah, we're doing a tear-off today. Where are we going? Well, we're going to River Oaks. River Oaks. I remember when those houses were built. I remember up on those steep roofs thinking to myself, man, I pity the fool that has to tear this roof off and put it back. 
Guess who the fool was? But so we're putting on roofs. It's only temporary. They're just going to have to be put on again. So you're, so you're working in a factory. What are you really doing? So, you're, so you have a store and you're selling things. What are you really doing? There's going to come a time in life where you're going to look around and say, I'm not really making an impact. Can I tell you, you're not going to make an impact until you serve God. And the sad reality is there are many people who all they ever do is come and fill a pew and they never know the joy of exerting and expending themselves to serve God. Do you know what the beauty of it is? If you know Christ as Savior, God's gifted every one of you differently. Thank God for that. If this were a whole church full of Shannon Mondays, I wouldn't come. Neither would you. But the truth is, there's differences. Thank God for the differences, okay? But you have a gifting from Almighty God. Use it. Now, I want to give you just a couple of things about the will of God. The Apostle Paul is saying, essentially, he doesn't, he doesn't use, use these words, but he's essentially saying this, Agrippa, every day I get up, I know that what I'm going to do that day is the will of God for me. What a powerful motivation every day of our lives. I know that I'm doing the will of God for me. He says, look, I have an assignment of service. Now, let me just tell you two things about the will of God. Number one, God has a will for you. God has a will for you. I think sometimes we think, well, you know, the pastor, he needs to do the will of God, and the evangelist needs to do the will of God, and the missionary needs to know the will of God, but God does not, God's not really that concerned about me. Can I just stomp my feet and jump up and down and say, he does have a will for you. God has a plan for you. No, regardless of your place of employment, God has a plan for you to serve him. Regardless of your past, whatever that may be, God has a plan for you to serve Him. And I'm saying to you tonight, here is the Apostle Paul before King Agrippa. He said, I've got some things, Agrippa. I've got an assignment of service. And what I've got, I want you to have. Let me ask you, do you know that what you're doing when you go to work tomorrow, you're in the will of God? Do you know that? You see, you can God has a will for you. Secondly, the second truth about the will of God is this. God wants you to know His will for you. Brother Wes, when we were, when we were growing up, a person could not be a youth pastor unless he had at least one message from Romans 12, 1 and 2. And if he had seven, it was better. Okay? Romans 12, 1 and 2, what does it say? I beseech you, therefore, brethren... By the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, and be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. When I was a boy, everybody preached, every youth pastor preached on that. Why? Because it was important that we understood the necessity of surrender and the promise that it is possible to prove the will of God. And God wants you to know His will. It's all over the Psalms. Psalm 25, 
The meek will he guide in the way. What is that? It's a promise of God's guidance. Psalm 32, I will instruct thee and teach thee in the way which thou shalt go. I will guide thee with mine eye. What is that? It's a promise of God's guidance. The Bible says in, uh, in, 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 uh, in other places in the Psalms, speaking of the steps of a good man, they're ordered by the Lord. What is that? It's a promise of God's guidance. I want you to know something. You come to God and say, Lord, here's my life. I don't know that it's much. I don't have many talents. I don't have many abilities. But what I have, I'm going to give it all to you. Then you watch and see, and God will guide you in his will. Oh, I'm going to tell you, there's nothing like the will of God. It's nothing like the will of God. There's some things that are just difficult to describe to people who've never had them before. Remember the first time you fed your son a steak? All he'd had up to this point was cheap ballpark franks, a few beans and weenies and some SpaghettiOs. I don't know when it was you fed your, your son steak, but I remember my son Josiah, first time he cut into a steak, put it into his mouth, man, his eyes got big. Oh, what's that? That's good, Daddy. That's right, son. That's good. We're not vegans in this household. We're not. I've heard about those folks in different places. You can always tell because they look real sickly and all of that. But uh, we're not, that's not the way we are. And we're going to take all the hormones into our body and we're going to enjoy it down to the last bite. But my son, my son put that in his mouth. He said, oh, that's good. I could have spoken all week long trying to describe how good the steak was. It wouldn't have gotten through to him. But oh, when he tasted it, all of a sudden, I didn't have to talk about it anymore because he tasted it. And can I tell you, I, I covet this, Brother Dwight, for every person that hears me, every child of God that hears me. The Word of God says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Oh, that the Lord's people would bring their lives as a living sacrifice to God and say, Lord, here it is. I surrender everything, and whatever you want me to do, I will do it and begin to taste the will of God. I could talk about it forever, but it wouldn't make any sense until you taste it. Oh, child of God, would you surrender to Him tonight? Would you taste the will of God? And would you, like my son with a bite of steak in his mouth, look and say, Oh, preacher, that's good. I can't live without having more of that. And that's the way the will of God is. Here is the Apostle Paul speaking to this unsaved man. He says, look, I know I'm a prisoner. I don't want you to be a prisoner like me. But everything else that I've got, I want you to have. I want you to have the assurance of salvation. I want you to have the assistance of the Spirit. And I want you to have the assignment of service. And I want you to know, ladies and gentlemen, though the Apostle Paul's not here, he wants the same for you. And he wants the same for me. Lord Jesus, how we thank you. How we thank you for this passage of Scripture. How we thank you for this man and this sentiment that he expressed to King Agrippa. And Lord, tonight I pray that, pray that you'd work. Lord, we've been praying all day, been praying all week. And even before this meeting. Father, I've given the message as best I can. But I pray tonight that you would do the work in hearts. 
heads are bowed and eyes are closed, I wonder who would say tonight, you know, Brother Paul, that first thing that Paul had, the assurance of salvation, I've got it too. I know, Brother Paul, if I were to die tonight, I'd go straight to be with God in heaven. Jesus is my Savior. Heaven's my home. There's not a doubt in my mind. If that describes you, would you just raise your hand right now? Would you do that, please? I've got the assurance of my salvation. At least in that respect, the Apostle Paul and I are similar. Thank you so much. You can put your hands down. For those of you that just raised your hands, let me ask you this. When was the last time you can point to a definite incident and say, I know for a fact that what I did then or what I said then was due to the Holy Spirit's control in my life? In other words, I can point back to a time. I can point back to a situation, a circumstance, and say, this happened because I was filled with the Spirit and no other reason. There's no, no other explanation. For those of you that just raised your hands, can you point back to such a time? If you can't, can I just challenge you? Living life under the control of the Holy Spirit of God is a great thing. It's, a great, it's priceless. You've got to taste it. You've got to taste it. And then let me ask you this. How many of you would, would be able to say, don't raise your hand, but if I were to ask you and, and talk to you right outside the pastor's office in a private conversation, would you be able to look at me and say, Brother Paul, I know there is no doubt in my mind that, number one, I have surrendered to do whatever God wants me to do, and I am currently in the will of God for me. Could you say that? I'm I've preached to some of you here, and I commend you for being here, but you've never thought about that. It's never entered your mind. Oh, you know you're saved, and that's wonderful. But you've never thought about the fact that God wants you to surrender everything to him so that what you do is his will and not necessarily yours. I want to tell you this. You need a taste of that as well. The spirit-filled life, the, the life of surrender and living in the will of God, you got to taste it. you got to taste it. Some of you need to taste it tonight. Some of you need to start with surrender. And then you need to say, dear Holy Spirit, I want you to take control, and I want to do the will of God every day. I want that to be the driving motivation behind everything that I do. One more question, and we'll be done. Would there be someone here tonight and you'd say, you know, Brother Paul, I'll be honest with you. I don't have the assurance of my salvation. If I were to die tonight, I don't know if I'd go to heaven or hell. But I wonder, would you pray for me? Now, I'm going to be looking for hands. Pastor Monday's going to be looking for hands. If you're here tonight and you do not have the assurance of your salvation, I wonder, would you just put up your hand? Let us see it and let us pray for you. God bless you. God bless you. I see those two back there. Thank you. You can put your hands down. Anyone else to join these two? Pray for me. I do not currently have the assurance of my salvation. Now, here's what we're going to do. In a moment, the pianist is going to begin to play. Brother Dwight's going to begin to sing a song of invitation. Here's what I want you to do.
If you raised your hand just now saying, pray for me, gentlemen, I don't know, I don't have the assurance of salvation. I'm going to ask you to, to slip out of your place, and I'm going to ask you to come and take pastor by the hand. And just tell him, say, hey, we don't have the assurance of our salvation. He'll help you from there, okay? As soon as you hear that first note of music, I'm going to invite you to come. If you're here and you know Christ as Savior, but God has spoken to your heart about complete surrender to the filling of the Spirit and to do the will of God, I want to ask you to come too. You say, Brother Paul, can I make a decision in my seat? Yeah, you can. You can. But I want to tell you, there's something about publicly taking a stand and saying, you know what? God has spoken to my heart. I don't care who knows it, and I want to do business with God. I don't care who sees. I don't care what they think. It's just God and I, we're going to get this settled. And so if God has spoken to you as a child of God, I'd invite you to slip out of your place and come. And just, we use this language sometimes, cement that decision on your knees. You say, Brother Paul, is, is that really a thing? Yeah. Yeah, it, it, there's something about it. It helps. And so as, as the pianist begins to play, if God has spoken to your heart, I'm going to invite you to come. May we stand to our feet, please, right now. Everyone standing right now. Father, I pray for these that have raised their hand for salvation. They don't have the assurance of salvation, Lord. They've indicated with that with the uplifted hand. I pray for them. Lord, you know the hearts. I can see the outside, but you can see the hearts. And so, Father, I pray, I pray that, that they would have the courage to come and that you would give wisdom to those who open the word of God and endeavor to answer their questions. Father, I pray that you'd work. I pray for Christians that need to come. I pray that we just obey you tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you come? I can hear would you come? my Savior That's right. would you come? calling. Who else? God is speaking tonight. Would you come? I can hear my would you come? Savior calling. Paul says what I, I got, I want you to have. Do you have that tonight? Calling. Would you come? Some of these I'll have responded. With How about him, you? With him all the way where he leads me i will follow where he leads me i will follow where he leads me i will follow i'll go with him with him all the way 